afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are in history class this week on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We decided that Thanksgiving week, we would go into history class. Uh, and it's it's the history of the pilgrims. It's the history of Thanksgiving. And it's it's diving into the reasons why we celebrate this holiday. Why do we have a holiday centered around an attitude, centered around a state of mind, uh, centered around having grateful and thankful hearts for our station in life, our lot in life, for one another? Uh, but for what Washington and Lincoln said, really thankful hearts to God that we should take this day and offer praise and thanksgiving and a heart of gratitude to God for his many blessings, for his for his mercy, uh, for for pardoning the wrong that we've we've done as a nation and the wrong that we've done individually. You know, you know, Washington, you know, was very strong in his feelings that that we should seek pardon from God. Uh, and and this this holiday that we celebrate is rich in in that tradition, it's rich in that history. And we just felt like it was necessary that we dive into it with the progressive Marxist left taking over education. Uh, we know it's their desire to rewrite our history, and we're not going to let it happen here. We're not going to let that history be rewritten. We're going to dive into history class often. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we're taking an entire week to do it here, and I really hope and pray that I I'm able to get it get it all wrapped up. That it's it's that I can do it in a week. It's a lot to go over. And yesterday. Yesterday we really got into the weeds and and names and dates and I and this is where history class just shuts people off. This is the part of history where you know kids come in and they fall asleep and they or they just you know they're just not paying attention because it's just you know it's names and dates. Now it, I, I threw out names and dates yesterday as a point of reference. The, the names and dates are important from from the are important from the aspect of of having some some reference of time. And we spent a lot of time diving into them yesterday, but I hope it's my hope that what sticks out to you are the stories. I, I, I hope it's the stories of of the people that stick out to you more than the names and the dates, because it's the stories that offer this backdrop that you know really explain why the pilgrims were even here why did they come here what was the what was the purpose who were they and why were they even why did they have this longing and this desire to pack up their families get on a boat and sail across an ocean to a place they've never been before uh what would possess a group of people to do that? And so in answering that question, it's important for us to, to do what we did yesterday and just dive into the people in charge. So to do that, to tell those stories, we've got to throw out names and dates, but it's the stories that I hope will stick with you. It's the story of King Henry VIII, who 
uh, is so desperately driven for this need to have a son that you know his first wife he just you know he he goes to great lengths to dis, to to divorce her but he can't because the, the the pope in rome who is over all of catholicism which england falls under the pope says no you can't you can't get an annulment from catherine of aragon and the reason you can't is because of biblical grounds but you know there is some speculation that uh, that the Pope was actually afraid of King Charles V, who was the King of Spain, who was the nephew of Catherine of Aragon, because Catherine of Aragon was the daughter of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, who sent Columbus on his way. So we have this this dichotomy here of of of, of religion and and governmental power, and it's all intertwined. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's you know it's a mess. It's all a mess, and so finally Henry says, "That's it. We're leaving the we're leaving the Catholic Church," and uh, the door kind of opened up for him for this. And when in fifteen seventeen, when Martin Luther, you know, protests, he tacks his ninety nine thesis to the door, and then the Protestant Reformation begins. So, some countries are starting to you know break away break away from the Catholic Church. And Protestantism is beginning to, to take a, a footing in a lot of these nations which were under the Pope. Well, Henry takes the, uh, advantage of this moment, breaks away from the Catholic Church. And in, you know, and he, he starts the Church of England, which he makes himself the head. And so uh, the, the Parliament passes these, these laws, which then give Henry this power. They passed the Act of Supremacy, which said King Henry was the supreme head of the Church of England, and all subjects were to take an oath accepting that he was their supreme head. Then they passed the Treason Act, which made it a crime to accuse the king of heresy or tyranny, because those were the things he was about to do. And because he's about to do these things, well, I, I got to have this act in here that if people accuse me of it, then off with their head. Uh, you, you know, you couldn't accuse him of, of heresy or tyranny, or you would be committing treason. That's why it was called the Treason Act. And then, you know, he had a way to get rid of his second wife, and Anne Boleyn, because, you know, he could accuse her of treason because she is going to accuse him of heresy or tyranny or something. And then he could say, off with your head, when in actuality, she just wasn't giving him sons. All right, Catherine gave him a daughter, Mary the First, who he come to know as Bloody Mary. Anne Boleyn gives him a daughter, Elizabeth the First, who we come to know as the the Virgin Queen. She never gets married, hence you know the the you know Virginia, the Virginia Company in Virginia is named after the Virgin Queen. And so we have these two you know ladies that eventually take the throne. Uh, yeah, you know, but uh, in, in the process, you know, Henry then marries Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour finally gives him a son, Edward, and Edward becomes king when when Henry dies. Edward's not on the throne very long. When when on, on Edward's deathbed, he doesn't choose his oldest sister Mary to take his place. No, instead he chooses his first cousin, Lady Jane Grey, and Mary's like, "What? What in the world? How dare you? What's happening here? I am next in line." I'm the oldest sister. 
And it only takes Mary nine days to to oust Lady Jane Grey, get her get get her off the throne, and then uh, you know Mary and her supporters take the throne of England, and then Mary marries Philip II, who is the son of the of you know, well, Philip II's the the King of Spain. He's son of Charles V who is the grandson of Isabel and, and Ferdinand. And of course, Mary is the daughter of Catherine, who is the daughter of Isabel and Ferdinand. So, you know, Mary ends up and, you know, marrying up a cousin, you know, Philip II, King of Spain. And, and they're, they're, well, I mean, they're cousins. And they, they marry and they unite because the point is, let's bring England back from Protestantism and under the umbrella of, of Catholicism. Uh, because Philip II, his dad, Charles V, is the Holy Roman Emperor. I mean, he's over all of all of the, the Roman Empire. And Philip II inherits this. And he marries Mary, and they decide, all right, let's just bring England back under Catholicism. And Mary goes on this tirade where she executes, you know, over 300 people over 300 religious leaders to bring the country of England back under Catholicism. And so that she gets this nickname, Bloody Mary. And one of the people that she wipes out is Archbishop Thomas Kramer. And he was the the, the Archbishop who uh, annulled the marriage between Mary's mom, Catherine, and her father, King Henry. So, you know, Bloody Mary's like, this guy's got to go, he's out. And um, and then she just, you know, goes on this this tirade. Well, she's she's only alive for for five, you know, I don't know, five, six years. She dies. Uh, when she dies, Elizabeth takes the throne. Elizabeth is the daughter of Anne Boleyn. And Elizabeth does not want the the, the country to go to Catholicism. Uh, Philip II proposes to Elizabeth because Philip II wants England. She's like, "No, I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna keep England under the Church of England." I mean, Elizabeth liked this power. She enjoyed the fact that she could be the supreme head of of the Church of England. And as a matter of fact, Elizabeth got Parliament to pass the Act of Uniformity. Uh, the Act of Uniformity said that you could only attend an Anglican church service. If you attended an unauthorized church service, then you were fined, you were imprisoned, or you know you were burned at the stake. I mean, so you you get this picture of of the tyranny that the Pilgrims are growing up in. Uh, you know, these guys are are, are little kids. You know. Brewster and Company. They're they're just, you know, little kids at this point. But they're seeing uh and 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 they're watching all of this unfold. So Philip says, you know, he he tries to convince Elizabeth to marry him because he wants England, he wants everything under under his rule, under his domain, and she refuses. And in that uh refusing she gets wind that there's an assassination attempt out on her 
and 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 she gets this this you know word reaches her ears that Philip and Mary, who's the Queen of Scots, not Bloody Mary, a different Mary, Mary the Queen of Scots, and Philip are thinking, you know, why don't we get married? And then I will just, you know, naturally, you know, I will have a right then to the throne of England. And so uh, Elizabeth has Mary, the Queen of Scots, assassinated. And then Elizabeth goes on this little mini Bloody Mary tirade where she starts, you know, having people executed because, you know, she's afraid that her position is, um, you know, is under attack. And it's during this time that Philip sends the, the Spanish Armada to England. Uh, there's something called the Spanish Furies, where uh, the Duke of Alba, who is known as the Iron Duke, he fought for Charles V when Charles fought um, the Ottomans. And this Iron Duke, beginning in 1572, the Iron Duke was sent to crush the Reformation in Holland. So Spain is really interested in putting down the Protestant Reformation everywhere. Because, you know, Charles V and Philip II, these guys are the Holy Roman Emperor. They're over all of it. And so it's in their best interest to crush this Protestant Reformation. They got to put it down. This is why, uh, you know, uh, Philip marries Mary, and they want to turn England, you know, back under Catholicism. And Bloody Mary goes on her tirade. And this is why Philip you know, proposes to Elizabeth, but she says no. She turns him down. Philip's like, all right, then, um, you know, we're going to start the Spanish Furies, and we're just going to start forcing these Protestant countries to come back to, to Catholicism. So the Iron Duke is sent to crush the Reformation in various places. He goes to Holland. His men pillage, burn, rape, and slaughter literally for four years, from from 1572 to 1576. This is the time in Holland that's known as the Spanish Furies, and this was the beginning of Holland's 80 years uh, war for independence. With his show-no-mercy orders, the Iron Duke sacked and decimated the rebellious Dutch cities. Deist, Roermond, Gilders, Mons, Mechelen, Zuften, uh, Harlem, Alkmaar, all, all of these cities, the Iron Duke is just decimating. Absolutely decimating. In the city of Narden, every man, every woman, and every child was massacred. I just wiped out. Dutch citizens of Leiden knew if they surrendered, they would be killed as an example for others not to rebel. So they didn't. The people in Leiden refused to surrender. Uh, but their city was under siege, and half of their population died of starvation. With their will bolstered to resist, William the Silent, who was Prince of Orange, with the help from Elizabeth I, broke the dikes, allowing seawater to flood the Spanish troops. He then sent rescuers on flatboats to bring herring and white bread to the starving citizens. Finally, in 1574, the Spain siege of Leiden was broken. To celebrate this, William of Orange founded Leiden University. Citizens held an annual day of thanksgiving in Leiden. So what's so important about this? Well, the pilgrims that we're going to talk about, maybe we'll get to them today. The pilgrims, the, 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 the pilgrims and their and their flight for freedom, they leave England 
and they go to Leiden. They move to the city of Leiden, and they get there in 1609. And then there they would have experienced the city's annual fall Thanksgiving, commemorating the lifting of Spain's siege. So uh, they, they experience this tradition of a people offering thanksgiving to God for, for saving them. Uh, because Spain's like, oh nope, everybody's gotta everybody's gotta come back to Catholicism. Everybody, everybody get back here. And it's um you know, these Spanish furies are are trying to essentially if people don't come back to Catholicism, then they're gonna they're gonna die. Spain's gonna wipe them out. Philip's upset that Elizabeth doesn't accept his offer for marriage. He sends the Spanish Armada to uh, to teach her a lesson, and the Spanish Armada is is defeated, and it's it's really defeated by a storm. Of course, England has these smaller boats, these smaller vessels that that can maneuver, but it's the storm that does the Armada in, and because the Spanish Armada is wiped out, England. England starts making a move to be the world's superpower. But in so doing, uh, they are they're uh they're oppressive. They're oppressive to to people who do not follow the rules and the laws of the Anglican Church or the Church of England. Uh and uh Queen Elizabeth is uh, she's a heavy hand in this. And so this is where this is where we've got to pick it up, and this history is important. I get it, you know, the names and dates, we can get caught in the weeds, but it's the stories that matter. It's the stories that matter. All right, we'll pick the story up on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back to History Class. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can find us here Monday through Friday, the 2 p.m. Eastern time slot. 
You can listen to us on AmericaOutloud.news. The world-class media player here is fantastic. You can download the America Out Loud Talk Radio app where you can listen to us live every day. Or you can pick us up on iHeartRadio. You can listen to us on podcasts. Every show goes to podcasts, wherever you you find your your podcasts. As a matter of fact, uh, this this history class week, you know, if you're listening on podcast, send it to a homeschool mom, and you know, let her, you know, make it part of your uh, your Thanksgiving history lesson. Uh, you know, we'll just, um, you know, let the homeschool moms and dads take a break for the week, and I'll take over your history class. That'll be fine. You know, I'm okay with that. Let's go after it. All right. So uh, our review has brought us to to Elizabeth and the late 1500s. But Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth is, you know, she wants to follow really in in the footsteps of of her dad, King Henry. King Henry had had Parliament, uh, you know, create some laws which were were beneficial to him. You know, the, 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 the act of supremacy which made Henry the supreme head of the Church of England. And, you know, everyone had to take an oath acknowledging that he was the supreme head. And then the Treason Act, which, you know, said, if you accuse King Henry of heresy or tyranny, then that's committing treason and off with your head. And so Henry was able to to use this to get rid of a wife or two, probably. And so here comes Elizabeth and she uh, has Parliament pass the Act of Uniformity. And the Act of Uniformity, now it's true, you had a Bible you could read now in England. Um, you know, even though ironically, uh, King Henry had William, you know, Tyndale, who translated the the Roman Latin Bible into English. Henry didn't like that at the time, and so he had Tyndale strangled and burned at the stake. But then later it became beneficial. And he thought, hmm, you know, maybe we should use this Bible to let Rome know we are officially breaking away. And so he did. So while, you know, people could read the Bible in their own language, uh, they still couldn't believe whatever they wanted. They still couldn't technically believe the Bible because they had to believe, well, the Church of England. So Parliament passed the Act of Uniformity, which required all persons to attend the Anglican Church once a week or be fined 12 pence, which back in the day, 12 pence was like, holy cow, a lot of money. And so you're taking 12 pence from the peasants, you're you're just pretty much taking everything. Uh, This Act required the use of the English Book of Common Prayer, which set the order of prayer. So every day there was a prayer in the English Common Book of Prayer, and, and that was your book. You had to read that book of prayer. And uh, if you if you conducted an official service, this was a crime punishable by fine, imprisonment, or even death. And this is this is Elizabeth. This is Queen Elizabeth. This is you know the Virgin Queen. You know this is what she's about. Fifteen ninety three Puritans. Henry Barrow and John Greenwood were found guilty of violating the Act of Uniformity. These two men were executed. So what this did is it created a a group, it created a movement called Puritans. 
and their objective was to purify the Church of England. They 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 wanted to to they wanted to bring the Church of England into a realm of actually following the Bible. Instead of following the whims and the will of the king or the queen, the Puritans were like, well, let's, you know, let's purify this whole thing and let's actually follow the Bible. But, you know, this this isn't going to bode well. Um, we can't have this. It, you know, it just, it just dips into the, the queen's authority a little bit. It dips into her power a little bit. She wants to be able to, you know, twist and turn the Bible how she sees fit. So the the Puritans were, you know, they were hunted down. They were sought after. So when Elizabeth dies, her first cousin, uh, King James of Scotland. Now, King James of Scotland is the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, who Elizabeth had, had killed. She, she had Mary, the Queen of Scots, assassinated. So Mary's son, James, takes the throne of Scotland. Well, when Elizabeth dies, uh, she has no children. You know, there, there's no more, you know, cousins to go after. Everyone's dead. Well, you know, James has a cousin, but he's, he has King of Scotland. He's officially crowned King James I of England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. So now he's over the whole island. But uh, his his philosophy is is that kings are God's lieutenants upon the earth. He said, he said the kings sit upon God's throne. The king is overlord of the whole land, master over every person. The king has power over the life and death of everyone. This is King James, sixteen o three. The king has has power over the life and death of everyone. So you get this idea uh, of, of who the pilgrims were and this world that they lived in, that, that you had to literally do what the king said. You, you had to attend an, an Anglican church. If you didn't, you were killed um, or imprisoned or you know fined in, in various degrees. You know, it's interesting uh, that our First Amendment includes freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Because in England, the two kind of went hand in hand uh, in the sense that you did not have either one of them. You didn't have the freedom of religion. You had to attend the Anglican Church. You didn't have freedom of speech. If you accused a royalty of being a heretic or tyrannical, that was a treasonous act. And you were dead. Uh, so this is you, you kind of get you kind of get not only what the founding fathers were thinking, but you also understand. All right, this makes sense. Why why the the pilgrims would not want to to stick around under this type of tyrannical religious rule. Uh, so the Puritans were were one group. They wanted to purify the church. Uh, another group gave up hope trying to purify the Church of England, and this group was called the Separatists. So they they began to separate themselves from England uh, because they met in secret at night by candlelight in barns and basements, very similar to illegal house churches today in communist countries. 
That's what was happening. They were gathering at night. They were the, the, the underground church. But when the separatists were caught, they were punished by being put in stocks. They were whipped. Uh, they were imprisoned, or they were even branded as, as heretics. You know, because you could not attend uh, an unofficial service. No, you couldn't do that. You had to go to an official Anglican service. So, uh, you know, this was a, a very horrible time, a very horrible time for, for these groups of Puritans and separatists. One of the separatist leaders. So this this brings us to uh, this brings us to the Pilgrims. One of the separatist leaders in England was William Brewster, who, beginning in 1606, arranged for the small Pilgrim congregation to meet privately in secret at the Scrooby Manor House. Richard Clifton was their pastor. John Robinson was a teacher, and William Brewster was the presiding elder. Brewster was fined the equivalent of thousands of dollars for noncompliance with the church. He was pressured to resign from his prestigious postmaster position. And the group considered fleeing to Amsterdam. So uh, in his writings, the, the pilgrim governor, William Bradford, later on, he writes uh, his journal, which is published under the title of Plymouth Plantation. This is what Bradford uh, had to say about William Brewster. Mr. Brewster went and lived in the country till the Lord revealed himself further to him. In the end, the tyranny of the bishops against godly preachers and people, and silencing the former and persecuting the latter, caused him and many more to look further into things and to realize the unlawfulness of their Episcopal callings and to feel the burden of their many anti-Christian corruptions, which both he and they endeavored to throw off. So, you know, the more Brewster looked into it, the more he realized the religious leaders are evil. They're, um, they're anti-Christian, and they're, they're full of anti-Christian corruption. Um, Bradford continues, after they had joined themselves together in communion, as was mentioned earlier, he was a special help and support to them. On the Lord's Day, they generally met at his house. Now, he's talking about Brewster. They met at Brewster's house, which was a manor of the bishops, and he entertained them with great kindness when they came, providing for them at heavy expense to himself. He was the leader of those who were captured at Boston and Lincolnshire suffering the greatest loss, and was one of the seven who were kept longest in prison and afterwards bound over to the magistrates, so or justice of the peace. So there's this group that um, that were captured at Boston in Lincolnshire, a group of, of separatists, as they were trying to escape. You couldn't leave England. You couldn't leave the island. Uh, but these guys are trying to leave because they want to just go to a place where they can worship, where they can worship God as they as they deem fit. And this is the whole impetus. This is the whole point of their of their departure from England and their arrival to America because they were separating themselves from the Anglican Church. They 
You know, they didn't want to be forced into worshiping a certain way. They didn't want to be forced into reading the Book of Common Prayer every day. They wanted to, to pray to God from their own hearts. And 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 this is what is this is what is driving them. Uh, it was illegal to leave England without permission. And on their first attempt, their their first attempt in 1607, they're arrested uh, at Scotia Creek. So uh, this is what Bradford in his in his journal has to say again about about this attempt. There was a large company of them purpose to get passage at Boston in Lincolnshire. And for that end, had hired a ship wholly to themselves and made agreement with the master to be ready at a certain day. This is the captain of the ship. And take them and their goods at a convenient place where they accordingly would all attend in readiness. So they hired this ship from this Englishman, this Englishman. Uh, and, you know, they say, you know, you, you're going to meet us here. We're going to get passage up at Boston and, and Lincolnshire, and you're going to take us, you know, wherever. So after long waiting and large expenses, though he kept not day with them, yet he at length took them in the night. So the captain, you know, shows up. It's nighttime. But when he had them and their goods aboard, he betrayed them, having beforehand plotted with the searchers and other officers to do so. They took them and put them into open boats, and there rifled and ransacked them, searching them to their shirts for money. Yea, even the women further than became modesty. So uh, the captain that they hire to get them off the island is a turncoat. And he takes their their money, you know, he gets them on the boat, all their belongings, and he's, you know, he's been paid. And lo and behold, who should who should show up but the officials? the leaders, the government officials, and they 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 take the, the pilgrims, they rifle through their belongings, ransack them, strip them down to their shirts for money. And, and, and of course, in the journal, yea, even the women further than became modesty. So they, you know, stripped the women down to a point well beyond what would have been considered modest. You can kind of fill in the blanks there back to the journal, and then carried them back into the town and made them a spectacle and wonder to the multitude, which came flocking on all sides to behold them. Being thus first by the tax collector's office, rifled and stripped of their money, rifled and stripped of their books, and much other goods, they were presented to the magistrates and messengers sent to inform the lords of the council of them, and so they were committed to ward. You know, a lot of them were were put in the stocks. Um, you know, they were humiliated, stripped down. Just, uh, you know, this was this was a a horrible thing. You know, they're trying to leave, and the captain turns on them. Back to the journal. Indeed, the magistrates used them courteously and showed them what favor they could, but could not deliver them till order came from the council table. But the issue was that after a month's imprisonment, the greatest part were dismissed and sent to the places from whence they came. But seven of the principal were still kept in prison and bound over to the justice of the peace. And one of the seven was uh, William Brewster. And these are in the in the notes and the journals of William Bradford. So Brewster's trying to get these people off of England. 
they hire this boat and the captain is evil and turns on them. Uh, and, you know, Brewster and six others, uh, well, the, the whole lot of them are kept in prison for a month. But Brewster and six others, um, while the others are returned home, you know, Brewster and some of the other leaders are, are kept. They have to go see the justice of the peace. And uh, they're just, I mean, think about it. Think if you wanted to, whatever state you live in, let's say you live in California and you just want to get to Nevada where there's peace and freedom, uh, but you can't escape the border. And when you try to escape, you're captured and you're dragged back into the city town square and you're put in stocks and you're ridiculed and you're stripped down to nothing and you know your money's taken away from you and, and your belongings and your possessions are um, you know, we hear of stories of of people trying to flee communist countries. I mean, you can't leave North Korea. I mean, you have to escape North Korea. Um, you know, this is this is what the pilgrims are are trying to flee from. I mean, I guess it was their own version of communism. I mean, they're trying to to escape from religious tyranny, and all they want to do is find a place where they can openly and freely worship God in a way that they see fit. Uh, and we have the writings. We have uh, we have the journals of Governor William Bradford, who describes uh, everything that Brewster and the pilgrims went through. And it is, it's fascinating. All right, we'll pick it up on the other side of this break. You're listening to History Class on the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to History Class on the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. We're listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are happy to have you on board. Welcome to History Class today. 
we really feel like the the importance of history uh, is it's paramount. We we feel like the the way that the left that essentially controls education in this country, the, the way they are trying to demolish history, the way they are attempting to rewrite it and to insert lies and falsehoods into our actual historical historical account, we, we feel like that just needs to be opposed. And we need to speak actual history. We need to teach and talk about actual history. This is what we do at Waterbrook Christian Academy, and this is what we're going to do here from time to time on the Dean's List. Maybe we should do more of it because there's there's plenty of room to do it. You know, I, I, I think of Hillsdale College, and I think of the, the videos that they put out that are free of charge, just trying to get Americans to, to actually engage in some actual truth. Let's just engage in some actual truth, and that's what that's what we want to do here. We want to uh, we want to speak accurate history, both the good and the bad of it. I mean, there is good and there is bad. You know, unlike the left, which says yes, you have to say the good and the bad, but then they only tell you the bad, and even that is made up. I mean, they destroy Christopher Columbus on made up stuff, and then they say. Uh, our historical account of Columbus for years has just been the good. Well, we're going to now balance that with the bad. And what they're saying is, is falsehoods, lies. Well, we're going to counter that here. We, we have to go after it. We have to counter it. We have to tell the truth. We have to be accurate with, with history. And that's the way we approach it at Waterbrook Christian Academy. Uh, we we need schools that are going to speak the truth. They're going to establish an accurate foundation of history and then teach from that foundation. So we're coming up at the end of the year. If if you are if you like to donate, you know year end. If you're looking for a a place to support, if you're looking for uh, an opportunity to to put your money into conservative uh, Christian education, then I would ask you to consider donating to Waterbrook. You can go to waterbrookca.org. Uh, you can go to our website, and there you'll see a tab that says support. You can click on that tab, uh, and you can get behind what we're doing here. Uh, we we provide a classical education to our students. Uh, it's a it's a classical education that's rich in truth. Uh, it's it's rich in in wisdom. It's rich in in virtue. And and that's what we're involved in. And we want to teach the next generation uh, actual truth. And if you want to support that, if you want to support actual truth being taught to our kids, being taught to the next generation, feel free to support us. Waterbrookca.org. Uh, we're a nonprofit. It's tax deductible. Um, you can you can give to the general fund, or there's there's you know specific things that that we're that we are raising money for. So we would love to have your support. I'd love to have it. All right, let's get back to history class, shall we? So, uh, amazingly enough, we have uh, the journal of of the Pilgrim Governor William Bradford. 
who wrote of Plymouth Plantation. And Bradford writes about all this stuff. He writes about William Brewster and how these uh, how these people fled England to Holland and eventually uh, made their way to America. So when they're trying to, to leave the island, you couldn't, it was illegal. And, and they set sail for, they're trying to, to, to get to Holland and they hire an, an English boat captain to get him there. And this guy is a turncoat. He's like, uh-uh, I want the money. And, and he sells them out. And they end up going to prison. They end up getting beat. They end up, you know, all these horrible things. Well, so that spring, uh, William Bradford uh, decides, or, or he's writing, that Brewster and company uh, decide to to escape again later that spring. These, these people are nonstop. They're like, no, no, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So he gives the account in his journal of pilgrims arranging this time for a Dutch ship, a Dutch captain, a Dutchman, or a flying Dutchman, laddies, to meet them at a secluded shoreline. Here's what he says. The next spring after, there was another attempt made by some of these and others. So we've got more people joining them to get over at another place. So they're going to try to get to Holland, but this time they're going to embark from a different location. And so it fell out that the light of a Dutchman at a hall, you know, this old English writing, you know, we just stay with me, stay with me. And so it fell out that the light of a Dutchman at Hall, having a ship of his own belonging to Zealand, they made agreement with him and acquainted him with their condition hoping to find more faithfulness in him than in the former of their own nation. We hope the Flying Dutchman is more faithful to us than our very own Englishman was. He told them not to fear, for he would do well enough. I'm the Flying Dutchman. Don't be afraid of me, laddies. He was by appointment to take them in between Grisby and Hall, where was a large seashore a good way distant from any town. So they've got this secluded spot. Okay, no one's going to find you here. We'll just, we'll just, you know, tuck and run. Uh, but unfortunately, the pilgrims arrive a day early. And so they're kind of hiding and waiting. And they get out in this little, uh, on this, on this little flat bottom boat. And they're on this boat kind of hiding in the weeds, you know, sort of thing. And uh, the women and the children get sick. And so here's what Bradford writes. Now against the prefixed time, the women and children with the goods were sent to the place in a small boat, which they had hired for that end. And the men were to meet them by land. But it so fell out that they were there a day before the ship came. And the sea being rough and the women very sick prevailed with the seamen to put into a creek where they lay on the ground at low water. They're like, oh, we got to get us off this boat. We've been rocking on this thing. We're just sitting here for a day. We're getting seasick. Come on, let's just oh, let's just go to the land. Send us to the land. Uh, as the men uh, arrive, you know, they're storing food and, and their stuff on the ship. And then it gets, it takes a turn for the worst. Um, the next morning, the ship came. Are the Flying Dutchman. The shipmaster, who is, of course, the Flying Dutchman, perceiving how the matter was, sent his boat to be getting the men aboard whom he saw ready, walking about the shore. So he sees, all right, that the men have arrived. 
Uh, you know, they're walking about the shore. They're anxious. They're ready to get on this boat. Um, so he says, all right, let's, you know, have the men start loading stuff up. Let's get this thing ready to go. And the women and children are, are going to wait while the men load. But after the first boat full was got aboard and she was ready to go for more, the shipmaster espied a great company, both horses and foot with weapons for the country was raised to take them. So somebody got wind, somebody got word that the pilgrims are trying to escape again in this secure location. Uh, and they send out men on horses and on foot with rifles and guns. They're ready to take these people. Uh, and the captain, you know, sees this happening. Well, the men are on the boat. The husbands are on the boat because they've been loading the goods. Who's not on the boat? The women and the children. They're not on the boat yet. The Flying Dutchman, see, it doesn't say flying in here, by the way. That's just my... Um, that's my own that's my own insertion. Arr, the flying Dutchman seeing that, you know, he sees that that there's armed individuals rounding the bend coming up and over the hill. He swore his country's oath. So he's got a potty mouth. I mean, he's the flying Dutchman. And having the wind fair, weighed his anchor, hoisted his sails, and sailed away. Uh, he just <laughs> the flying Dutchman up and left the women and children on the hillside. The poor men which were aboard were in great distress, for their wives and children which they saw thus to be taken were left destitute of their help. On the seashore, on the hillside, <laughs> they're like, where are you going? You can't leave us here. I mean, the, the, armed, the armed men are behind us. Talk about the Israelites at the Red Sea. Uh, but the flying Dutchman's like, uh-uh, nope, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. I did not sign up for this. We are out of here. And so he leaves with, with the men on board, all the husbands. Can you imagine what in the world, what, what in the world? And it's not like, you know, when, when these guys arrive, they can just get on a boat. You know, when the men arrive to Holland, they can just get on a boat and go back to England. Ah, oh, Unbelievable. This the flying Dutchman. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the ship drew uh, or it drew tears from their eyes from the men, and anything they had would have given to have been ashore again, but all in vain. There was no remedy, they must thus sadly part. The men are like, Whatever we could do to get back on that shore to get to our wives and children, we would do it. But the flying Dutchman was like, Uh uh, sorry, boys. We got to go. And afterward endured a fearful storm at sea, being 14 days or more before they arrived at their port. And seven whereof they neither saw sun, moon, nor stars, and were driven near the coast of Norway. The mariners themselves often despairing of life with shrieks and cries, sinking without recovery. So it takes them two weeks. And along the way, you know, seven of uh, of those, you know, seven days of those two weeks, they see, you know, nothing, no moon, no stars, no no sun, just storms, stormy clouds. So these guys think they're going to die anyway. You know, they're out there. I mean, the 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 mariners are are crying and for their lives. This is this is looking bleak. 
But when man's hope, and this is what um, Brewster is writing, but when man's hope and help wholly failed, the Lord's power and mercy appeared in their recovery. For the ship rose again. They thought it was sinking, by the way. The ship rose again and gave the mariners courage again to manage her. And in the end, brought them to their desired haven. All right, so the men get to Holland. But it's just the men. There are no women and there are no children. How horrible. I mean, think about that. I, did we know this was part of the story? Did Were you aware that this is what they went through? To flee tyranny, to flee, uh, in this case, King James, but Elizabeth before him, uh, you know, it, King James was of, of the opinion that he was just going to harry these people out of the country. I mean, he was going to do whatever he could to stop their Puritanism and their separatism. So these guys end up on Holland or at Holland without their wives and kids. The women and children were left in England, were sent from one court to another for nearly two years. This, this went on for two years. These men are like, I don't know where our wives, and they don't have cell phones. You can't just pick up the phone and call England. Hey, uh, honey, uh, when are you going to get on a boat and get over here to Holland? No, it doesn't work like that. They, they paid the Dutchmen everything they had. They arrived to a place with no money. How are they going to get, you know, how are they going to get back to England? So the women and children are left in England for two years. They're sent from one court to another until finally a judge just says, go home. That, that's it. Just, you know, go home. When they inform the judge that they sold their homes, they have no home to go to. The judge puts them on a ship and sends them to Holland to be joyously reunited with their husband. So that's what? For for two years, you're going from court to court to court? Finally, the judge has got to be, uh, he's got to be beside himself. He said, will you guys just go home? J j just go home. Why are you even here? And the women and children are like, we, we don't have a home. Uh, we sold everything because we were trying to leave this God-forsaken country. And then what happens? The judge is like, all right, put them on a ship. Let's just get them out of here. Send them to Holland. R really? So this was this was two years of what? Two years of nothing, essentially. This is what uh, Bradford says about it. But to return to the others where we left, pitiful it was to see the heavy case of these poor women in this distress. What weeping and crying on every side some for their husbands that were carried away in the ship, as is before related, others not knowing what should become of them and their little ones. Others again melted in tears, seeing their poor little ones hanging about them, crying for fear and quaking with cold. I, what? They, these women don't know if they're ever going to see their husbands again. What are they going to do with these kids? Being thus apprehended, the journal continues. They were hurried from one place to another and from one justice to another, till in the end they knew not what to do with them. For to imprison so many women and innocent children for no other cause, the, the judges are like, I can't, we can't put these women and children in prison. I mean, this is this is horrible. At least somebody has a heart over there. Ah. I, I mean, 
the journal keeps going. Though in the meantime, the poor souls endured misery enough, and thus in the end, necessity forced a way for them. Their cause became famous and occasioned many to look into the same. So people are like, hey, these guys, these guys made it out. Maybe we should do the same. And their godly carriage and Christian behavior was such as left a deep impression in the minds of many. And in the end, notwithstanding all these storms of opposition, they all got over to Holland at length. Some at one time and some at another and some in one place and some at another. They met together again according to their desires with no small rejoicing. Ah, so they went through a lot. These these people went through a lot to escape England, and, and they haven't even got to America yet. That's just to get to Holland. Separated, husbands, wives, and children, separated for two years. Husbands not knowing what became of the wives and kids. The wives and kids not knowing what became of the husbands. Can you imagine the reunion, though, when the wives show up in Holland and start asking around, where are English husbands? You know, it reminds me of Lord of the Rings where the ants lose the ant wives. <laughs> we don't, it's been so long, we forget what the ant wives looks like. All right. Uh, well, there is more history to come. Tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day and Friday, we're going to dive into it. We're going to finish this history class up. I am grateful that you are joining us today. Uh, that's all the time we have today, America. We will get to the rest of it later on this week. Thank you for joining me on the Dean's List. Encourage your friends and family to join the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.